to X-Rated Movies. This is a movie podcast by two guys who used to date, and now they don't. Now we talk about <laughs> movies under quarantine. Right. Um, I forget it's not funny if I make a joke about something we've talked about before pod. starting. Yeah. I was referencing Corn the band, because before I hit record, I said, are you ready? And then like we made a joke about a quarantine. Explaining jokes is funny. Yeah. <laughs> you know that like a meme about podcasts where it's like a, a billboard of people eating ice cream and then somebody actually eating ice cream. It's like it's like what I feel like listening to podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like that, except maybe the billboard had an inside joke that you didn't get. <laughs> That's what I'm doing. I'm sorry, listeners. But I have a topic I'd like to talk about that I think everybody can get behind. Lay it on me, big daddy. Matt, I'm tired of getting fed a lie there's something i feel very strongly about and i can't believe i haven't broached it yet on the podcast but oh. i feel very strongly about this and it, i'm just sick of living with it is it that i can't believe it's not butter is actually <laughs> butter no you know what i'm fucking sick of perforated cardboard open here tabs so it's, you're gonna have to carry this topic <laughs> i'm just telling you right now it's a lie matt Paint the, the, the scenario for me. Give me a specific example. Did you order a package? Did you, like, wh- where where was this perforated cardboard all right, all right, coming right. from? I'm, uh, I'm tired from a, a long day at Podcast Inc. And I'm just like, oh, I've got to make something quick. And I run to the store and I'm just like, oh, Annie's mac and cheese. That sounds great. And I go home. I get ready to cook it. I got my water boiling. I'm all ready to open up that packet and get those noodles in that boiling water because it's going to be so tasty. And I stick my thumb where it says open here and the box bends. Nothing happens. I'm shaking the box. It's a mess. I finally like rip it open. There's pasta everywhere. I would love to see your Julia Child style (laughs) cooking class. By the way, it's a lie. Why do they bother? I mean, one, I see you. I, I validate your concern. <sighs> I have noticed that, yes, some of the perforated cardboard box hole punch place thingies aren't as pliable as one would hope. But to me, I'm like, the water's boiling. It's water, so it has a boiling point. It won't get hotter than 212 degrees Fahrenheit, 100 degrees Celsius. Uh So there's a little buffer zone for you to see that the water is boiling and take your time in opening up the package of mac and cheese. But daddy's hungry (laughs) from a long day at Podcast Inc. Um... Yeah, I mean, I I sympathize, I sympathize, but, you know, usually I kind of give it, like, the the one-two, and if that doesn't do it, I'll take some scissors. Why give us the option? I just, I'm telling, I think it's like, I feel like I'm on some sort of hidden camera show every time I'm trying to open these things. Well, because it, um, maybe you are. Have you talked to Tim about this? Ugh. I got to check some YouTube videos. <laughs> Have you written to Annie's about this? Is it just Annie's? No, it's a constant. Like, uh, here's another example. All right. I'm uh, I'm like sighing. Oh, I got a chore. I got to clean the litter box. Ugh. 
And it's like, oh, man, I got to open a new box of litter to do this. And I use Arm & Hammer. Maybe I shouldn't plug them because their perforated cardboard doesn't work. And uh, they have, like, a little pour spout that you can, like, you're supposed to break the cardboard, pull it out, and then you can pour the litter out of. And uh, it's a matter of brute strength that I'm literally punching the box mm-hmm. to break open that seal. Well, I mean, that's got to be industrial because it's got to hold the the litter. I know. And that's the problem is that I can't even, like, break open the glue on that one because the glue is so strong. The gloop is so strong. <laughs> Oh, I had no idea. Well, this so, is a problem. Then you, I'm struggling, and then I rip it open, and then there's just litter everywhere, and it's a fucking mess. There has to be a better way. I'm just imagining, like, Kramer, like, trying to open up a bag of chips or something like that, or George Costanza when he couldn't open a condom. Tear it, tear it. I tried to tear it from the side. I can't get a good grip here. You got to do it like a bag of chips. How are you with boxed wine? Because a lot of those... Oh, don't even get me started. I'm starting you. (laughs) Daddy's had a rough day at Podcast Inc. Someone disagreed with him on a movie he picked for the the week, and uh, he's feeling real drinky after that. (laughs) So gets home and is like, ugh, I need. I good thing I bought this box of provisions wine, mm-hmm. and oh, I'll just tear out this little circle, and then I've got a nozzle, and I'm ready to go. Stick my thumb in it, nothing happens. I'm little Jack Horner hoping for a plum, plum, yeah, you know, of alcohol, and uh, I'm sitting there. And next thing I know, I puncture the bladder. There's wine everywhere. It's a whole thing. Not to put baby in a corner here, but. Have you thought that maybe the problem is your technique? Because as a purveyor of provisions myself, (laughs) I can't claim to have ever had a problem with their perforated edges. I seem to be able to get the wine out no problem. All right, Flatfoot, what's your secret? (laughs) Uh, Maybe it's that I don't trim my nails so I can, like, kind of pre-perforate it. Mm -hmm, Um. mm -hmm. Maybe it's I drink all that uh, uh, malk and my bones are strong <laughs> so I can really puncture into the perforations. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's that uh, I have better fingering technique. Uh, maybe uh, maybe it's just that I'm bigger than you and I have more leverage. Like, my arm's heavier than you. So when I do... Is, is it possible that you're not on some sort of hidden camera show and <laughs> I am? Well, I mean, I'm not ruling out the hidden camera show. Okay, 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 uh, okay, okay. Un, un, until I finish YouTube, we'll never know for certain. So I, it's good I'm bringing this up because maybe uh, maybe I am, and I'm the only one, and I just don't know it. Uh, I think you should get out your tinfoil hat and uh, figure out why Stanley Kubrick's space landing didn't make perforated cardboard better. want to talk about your thing or do you think that's good for i think we're fine okay cool uh well in that case i think we should maybe pivot hardcore to today's movie i hope we watch the same movie (laughs) you were joking beforehand that uh i made you watch miss peregrine school for unusual children well i watched that and out of africa just to be safe because i wasn't i couldn't quite remember out of africa (laughs) 
I've never even seen that movie. Why would I pick that for a movie? I don't know. Maybe I dreamed it. Oh, God. I mean, the only thing I know about that movie is that you think it's the most boring movie ever. Well, so, anyway, Meryl Streep. What do you think of her in that movie? <laughs> uh, oh, wait, was that not the movie? I did, that's not the movie I watched. Oh, dear. What was? What's the movie we're Maybe supposed to Maybe we be should doing? just both talk about the movies that we watched okay. until they align, and that's what we'll podcast about. Perfect. Sounds good. So Brian Eno in the 70s teamed up with this band called Cluster. Oh, right. Yeah. Uh, and I'd never heard of this before. Oh, you've never heard of Cluster and Eno? No, uh, uh, not in any significant way. I actually did watch a two and a half hour documentary on Brian Eno hmm. over the weekend. Oh, cool. cool. Um, uh, is that today's movie? No. Oh, god. oh my God. <laughs> if it is, I'm ready. I'm here for it. <laughs> Because uh, I did like whip out like anything that I had like tangentially Brian Eno related and start listening to it. Okay, but I, no, I was not familiar with a cluster, so that was sort of a new thing to be introduced to. Wait, what does this have to do with our movie? <laughs> uh, we were going to talk about movies that we watched until we we, oh, okay. we somehow collided <laughs> into the movie that we were supposed to do for the podcast. Okay, so this is like seven degrees of Kevin Bacon. Well, I also watched this week. Avatar, because I have nothing but time, and that movie has a superhero <laughs> tendencies. Like the superhero movie I watched this week, Sam Raimi's Dark Man. <laughs> you know what? That's actually a movie I recently watched too. <laughs> thankfully. Well, let's do that one then. Great. That sounds All like right. a plan. Plane landed. <laughs> Bumpy, but we're here. There's a lot of turbulence. <laughs> so uh, sometimes we, we talk, a l- like I'll get a hint of what you felt about a movie, like with Phantom Thread. I kind of already sort of knew that you were either conflicted or did not like the movie. Yeah, yeah. We, we're going in blank. We have mm. not even said the word dark. I mean, sometimes you'll text me like, like what time are we doing this? But you'll make reference to the movie that we're doing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, none of that today. Uh, and then you made me worried that you watched Miss Peregrine's Home for, for <laughs> Gifted Children because you knew that I was so drunk at the end of the last episode that I didn't remember what I just said to watch. <laughs> Thoughts? It's funny that you mentioned this because I just happened to have watched this. <laughs> And it like aligned with what you said last week, so that's good news. I had fun. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I'm not the biggest Raimi fan. I like him. I got to be in the mood for it. Maybe maybe I'll just put it that way. So this um, is like in the Commando line where I'm like, this movie's kind of dumb. Oh but. yeah, no, no, no. no. <laughs> like I was a little worried because like I was watching like this is a movie that like I can't help but smile while I watch. Cause, sure. Like, part of it's like this is so corny it's so ch- okay that's the word i kept saying i was like this is a little corny yeah i was like this is this is this is something <laughs> but like i'm smiling while watching it, so like how bad can i like feel a movie is if i'm smiling like, sure 90 percent of the time and i'm also just a big rainy fan and this movie is what i consider to be like his first like real outing with plot so I watched it twice in preparation for the podcast, and I was watching it last night, and I was like, you know what? If we have to justify the medium here, 
Like, and if you were to watch this movie with the sound off, you would 100% know what was happening. <laughs> yeah. Almost too much. It's not really a subtle movie. <laughs> so the first time I saw this was probably only like five or six years ago. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I really, I loved it that really? first time. Oh, that's surprising to me. Well, there was a trailer for it on my VHS of Tremors. Ah. And so there's certain scenes in this that are like burned in my head because I watched Tremors on repeat essentially as yeah. a kid. Who? No foolish heroics, if you please. Is. Dark Man. The, the little bird like hitting the, the igniter. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's in my head. Peyton like reaching for the phone and someone grabbing his hand. Like mm. that's like in my head. There's just a couple scenes from this that are so ingrained in me from that trailer, but I, I didn't actually watch it. And, uh, you know, I think this was probably like 2013 or 2014. I was like, I'm going to work my way through uh, Sam Raimi's films. And, yeah. Like, I was really only kind of familiar with Spider-Man and Evil Dead. So I was like, Let, let's get the other movies under my belt. And Dark Man was one of them. And I just, I fell in love with it because it had that, like, fanboy enthusiasm but like the earnestness of like a real filmmaker yeah the visual of dark man is like all like old like universal horror movies like you look at them it's like oh invisible man mummy mummy uh there's even like points where like when he's like wearing the hat and the cape where he looks like the shadow sure um frankenstein the, you know like, lab it's all there. oh yeah 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 the the, the mad scientist lab mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so there's that elements to it but then there's also like i feel like the framing of this and i think i said this at the end of the last week where it's like this is the best live action comic book not mm. comic book adaptation but just his framing is so informed and just like the way that like certain characters look or act is so informed by comic book aesthetic and Sam Raimi, you know, he grew up reading EC comics or like tales from the crypt and things like that. Like this has that sort of like, you know, darker, more adult comic aesthetic than a lot of the movies from this time. And I really, I grew to love Sam Raimi because his early stuff is really manic, like evil dead one and two, not a lot of plot in either of those movies. It's just a lot of wild camera work, a lot of gore, a lot of effects. Set uh, pieces almost. Set even. pieces. Yeah. I did hear that the uh, prop master on Evil Dead 2 went on to be the prop master for the West Wing. I love that. But as time went on, I kind of realized how good Raimi got with plot. Like He, he co-writes most of his scripts with his brother, who's in this movie, Ivan Raimi is his name. And also in Candyman. I was going to say, he was the, the greaser who gets killed at the very beginning of Candyman. Tough, again. <laughs> Playing a tough. Ivan Reitman, tight cast as a tough. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Ivan Raimi. <laughs> no, it's not Ivan, Ivan, Ivan Raimi. Is... is it? Oh, shit. I think it... Ted Raimi. Ted Raimi. Yeah. I don't know where I got Ivan from. I don't either. Ivan Reitman's the director of Ghostbusters. <laughs> and I think he has a brother, Ivan Raimi, who is in the movie. Oh, maybe. Ted Raimi. Anyway, Ted Raimi, also in Candyman. Yeah. As a tough. Yes. But I it, like I just, and, and this is a movie that I'm going to pick for the podcast one day, but Drag Me to Hell is probably his best oh. outing with plot. Chef's Kiss. Oh, okay. I love that movie. 
And if you watch, especially the first Spider-Man movie, he covers a lot of ground in like 30 minutes. It's I like, love this first Spider-Man movie. So he got really good with conveying plot through camera motion mm-hmm. and, and just like the uh, uh, actor's expression. And there's a little bit of it here. Like there's a lot in this movie <laughs> in like, you know, 99 minutes there, there, uh, give or take. Never bored watching this movie. Well, how could you? I'll there's give it so that. much just <laughs> thrown out. you. I'll give it that. Not a second is boring. <laughs> I watched some of the uh, like promo material for this. Like, okay. I don't want to say TV spots, but they must have like shown this on like HBO or Showtime, like some behind the scenes stuff, because they were like up and comer director Sam Raimi has a new <laughs> feature length coming out, featuring rugged Irish actor Liam Neeson. Because <laughs> this was Liam Neeson's, I think, first starring role. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I know that like. Sam wanted Bruce Campbell to do this role. Yeah. And I'm almost like, can we just have Bruce Campbell do oh, this yeah. role? Because like, it's like Liam Neeson doing Bruce Campbell. Oh, yeah. And I'm just wanting. I'm just well, left wanting. It's so, Liam it's, Neeson doesn't do kind of like goofy very well. It's too over the top. So, okay. Like so, the part where like his face starts to bubble at the carnival and he's like. <laughs> and you're like, come on. This is Uh, corny. And like Frances McDormand was, she had already been nominated for an Academy Award when this movie came out. No, like I'm, I'm almost positive. Like looking at the dates, that it's like while they were filming this was when they announced the Academy Award because it was like she was in Mississippi Burning, which was like 1988, and this shot in probably uh, nine, yeah, like yeah. So it was like they were probably like pre post production but it's it it is weird to think that like this like little cult movie from like 1990 has what became like some two of the biggest stars in their field seriously uh, Liam Neeson went on to get nominated for an academy award like so. 4 years later he's an Oscar Schindler <laughs> like uh, no i think uh, you're thinking of Ralph Fiennes aren't you no God damn it. So I re- I confuse Ralph. Okay, this is a point I was going to make. I confuse Ralph Fiennes and Liam Neeson all the time. Rafe Fiennes Rafe. is in Schindler's List. They're both in Schindler's yeah, List. Yeah. But Liam Neeson's Oscar Schindler. <sighs> Rafe Fiennes is like uh, uh, the Nazi that falls in love with the, like, the Jewish girl. Who's the one that's in all those shitty like My Daughter Got Kidnapped movies? That's Liam Neeson. What has Rafe Fiennes been in? Nothing lately. Was he in the English Patient? Yeah, that's Ray Fiennes. I'll never get these together. <laughs> so, by the way, this is a sidebar. I recently rewatched Elizabeth and Shakespeare in Love, starring Joseph Fiennes, yeah, his brother, yeah. And we, I was just researching him, just curious. And uh, their full name: <laughs> Ralph Nathaniel Twizzleton Wickingham Fiennes. <laughs> so, <laughs> just keep that in your. In your well, in your okay. mind there. Okay, so you're, you're gonna have to help me. So he was in Liam Neeson was in the he was the main person from Schindler's List. He, he was, was Schindler? Oscar Schindler. Ah, oh, fuck. See, I'll never remember this. Okay. Anyway, go ahead. But this was his first starring role. Okay. Come, come, come. Um, 
Or at least a starring role of, like, a major Hollywood movie. Okay. It's weird to think that this movie was a major Hollywood movie. Yeah. But well, it wasn't, like, uh, uh, Sam Raimi's, like, he tried to direct Batman, he tried to direct The Shadow, and he didn't get either of those, so he's like, I'm gonna make my own comic book yeah, movie. Yeah, he couldn't get the rights to either Shadow or Batman, so he got this. And, I mean, the Batman parallels are hard to ignore, oh. if n- for no other reason than the Danny Elfman score. I heard two notes of the, sc- of the score, and, and I was like, Danny, Danny Elfman. Elfman. And he's fifth build. Yeah, no, it's like <laughs> Liam Neeson, Francis McDormand, a cu- like two- Larry Drake, one other cast member, and then Danny Elfman. He gets was... built above Sam Raimi. I know, that's bananas. Usually it's like music composed by is just the last one before the director. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Wow. It's early, and also, this feels like Danny Elfman phoning it in. To be honest, like it's it which just, is weird because Danny Elfman said he loved doing the score for this. Uh, it just feels like offcuts of, um, you know, Beetlejuice or Batman stuff. The, and like, see, I also thought it was like a precursor to his like Nightmare Before Christmas stuff too. Yeah, like there's this scene of like Peyton in the lab, and there's like beakers floating around and stuff like that. I was like, this is pure Nightmare Before Christmas music. It just, it's fine. It just, I don't know, not not his greatest work in my opinion. Okay, but it was fun to have him do the score. Oh yeah, it's weird. Like I, I uh, there was like an interview with Liam Neeson now on Darkman. And he's like, you know, and Francis McDormand too, and they both talk about how, like, at the core of this movie is a love story. I'm like, mm. uh, <laughs> <laughs> nice I don't know try. About that. <laughs> but I mean, Francis McDormand, I'm like, okay, you're still doing like Oscar nominated pictures, but like Liam Neeson, like, oh, I'm sorry, star of Taken One, <laughs> Two, and Three. <laughs> Is Darkman now below you? I will say both of them are giving their all in this movie. Like, Frances McDormand is giving a performance that this movie does not deserve. <laughs> My favorite scene with her in is, like, when she's watching the building explode, and then it fades to her at the funeral. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just her. No one else no came one else to the funeral. There. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's sad. But, like, just that transition scene, like... That's one of those things where I'm like, yeah, I know that this isn't like good in a classical sense, but I am smiling so much. It comes here. off the heels of Liam Neeson exploding out of the building, like, whoa! <laughs> it's pretty good. It's pretty good. I mean, at the very least, like this is a lot of movie. Like, yeah. Oh yeah. The, the, the <laughs> there's just a lot of score. There's a lot of visual effects. There's a lot of action. Like I said, I was never bored yeah. watching it. But I was really worried. I was like, this might be like too much movie for Ryan. Like, <laughs> this just might be like too much for like one sitting in a movie. Mm-hmm. I was there. I think it's 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 corny. I'm glad you acknowledge that it's corny because oh, yeah. like it's, there, oh no, it's super corny. Several points where I was like, this is just <laughs> cheesy at this point. <laughs> like when uh when the the toughs uh invade uh, Liam Neeson's office. Oh, and, which that's a lot of people to sneak into your laboratory without you knowing. Yeah, there's like that. six of them or something. But then they're like they're roughing him up and they like shove him into the like the the different things. Like, again, that's where I was like, why is Bruce Campbell not doing this? Like, sure, he, sure. It just was like, <laughs> yeah, like when he like grabs those two like electrodes yeah. or whatever. <laughs> I mean, I love it. It's just cheesy. One of Sam Raimi's curses, like he he always like envisions parts for Bruce Campbell, mm-hmm. and then studio heads are like, "Oh, well, he's not a big enough star. Like we got to get someone with 
more chops or name recognition or something to like replace them. And it's like, okay, Liam Neeson did go on to do great things, but like you probably haven't seen this movie crime wave. Mm -mm. There's a really good reason you haven't seen it. It's not very good. (laughs) He co-wrote it with, uh, the Coen brothers. Oh, okay. Uh, cause they're longtime friends. Oh, is that how he got, uh, Francis McDormand in this movie? Yeah. Because like they were like roommates in like 1982. Oh, fun. Okay. So like, yeah, Sam Raimi and the Coen's, all co-wrote this movie called Crime Wave, which kind of like Dark Man is a lot of movie. Like every scene, like just the hell is directed out of it. I couldn't tell you what Crime Wave was about though. <laughs> but the lead guy was supposed to like he wrote it with Bruce Campbell in mind, and it was made in between the two Evil Deads. Okay. And the studio that was back him was like, well, no, Bruce Campbell's not a big enough star. We need to like do this up and comer, blah blah blah. And like that, I don't even know who that who actually started in crime wave. Cause like they didn't go on to do anything great. Meanwhile, Bruce Campbell is in the movie as like a minor villain part. And it's like, clearly he was supposed to be the lead. He's got the chops. He's got the screen presence. So it's like the same thing kind of happened with dark man where it's like, you can kind of tell that this is a Bruce Campbell part. Oh, yeah. A hundred percent. And for like someone else, decided against it for some reason and there's a there's like a sort of a reference to that in the end of this movie when he's like because dark man like his his thing is like he can be anybody so he like develops these like realistic masks of people and like Mm -hmm. the final one is a bruce campbell mask and which is so good my last note is like there's bruce campbell yeah like he's got to be in here somewhere well because uh Raimi fans will know that Bruce Campbell makes a cameo in every Sam Raimi movie. I think there's like one or two, like I don't, I actually don't think he's in Drag Me to Hell. And like, I think there's like one or two other ones. It's like both Bruce Campbell and Sam Raimi's car show up in all of their movies. Okay. It's like the car that they like drive to the cabin in in Evil Dead Mm. is Uncle Ben's car in the Spider-Man movies. Oh, okay. And it's like, they cover it up with like a wagon or something in the quick and the dead and stuff like that. Oh, that's like, fun. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, that car and Bruce Campbell, like one of the two show up in every Sam Raimi movie. In I like it. Some way. Yeah. It's, it's, it is fun. Cause like, then you're kind of like keeping an eye out for it. Yeah. And when I watched dark man, the first time I was like, where's the Campbell like <laughs> cameo where, and then having that at the end, like when you're like waiting for it the whole time, you're like, the movie's almost over. Is he's not in this. And, like, having that be the cameo, I'm like, that's perfect. There he is. Like, I love if, it. if this is his only scene, that's a good one. Yeah. That's a really memorable scene. It's fun. It's fun. Sorry, I'm geeking out. I've totally taken the reins of this episode. I love this sleigh ride. <laughs> Sam Raimi and the Coens are good friends. Oh, okay. Uh, they co wrote Crime Wave together. And Raimi had already made Evil Dead and maybe Crime Wave when Blood Simple came out. Barry Sonnenfeld just put out a book and he's been making the podcast round. So I've heard this story like three or four times now. Great, yeah. Let's uh, put it on ours. <laughs> can you do it in a Barry Sonnenfeld voice? I don't know if I can do a, a neurotic Jew that well. Uh, Nick, Nick, my producer's saying don't. <laughs> don't try to do that. Okay. Here at Podcast Inc., we're very professional. <laughs> but... Barry Sonnenfeld had never shot a movie before. The Coens had never made a movie before. And they said, like, whenever they got stuck, Sam Raimi just kind of seemed to be around. And so they'd always ask him, like, well, what do we do? What did you do? Yeah. Uh, that's why, like, in Blood Simple, there's even, like, moments of, like, Raimi cam. Oh, uh, the roving twisty. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. it was just, like, they didn't know how to do something. So 
Raimi's got a couple feature-length movies under his yeah. belt. What did he do? So. He did some shit. Yeah. It's weird to think that they're friends, though, because it's like they make very different movies. Yeah. I feel like the, the Coens are so controlled most of the time. The Coens are so controlled. And, and they're like, Raimi feels a little off the, off the ledge. But it's like, if you talk about like, or if you think about like, what is a bigger cult movie, you know, Evil Dead 2 or Raising Arizona, which were released on the same day in the United States. Fun. <laughs> like, they both have, I almost feel like, equal cult followings, but for very different reasons. Yeah. Which do you like better? I mean, it's tough. I'm not the biggest Raising Arizona fan. Like, I like it. Oh, really? But okay. uh, if push came to shove, I'd choose Evil Dead 2 over Raising Arizona. I might, too, just because I have a bigger history with it. But I think Raising Arizona is great. But it's like, okay, let's take a, you know Evil Dead 1 and, like, Big Lebowski or something like that. Like, then it gets tough. Mm, yeah. And, I mean... The Coens have their critical acclaim with their No Countries for Old Men's and Fargoses. But Raimi, of course, has like the Spider-Man trilogy. And I'll tell you this right now. Watch the third Spider-Man movie that's oft maligned. Never seen it. Oh, really? Yeah. People say like, oh, it derailed the franchise and blah, blah, blah. It's better than half the MCU movies. Mm. I liked one and two. I don't know why I didn't check in with three. A, three is way too long. It's like mm. two hours, 45 minutes. Venom doesn't show up to like an hour, 45 Hey, I'm in, in quarantine. <laughs> I got time. But three actually has a lot of good stuff in it. And so I don't, I don't know. When people complain, that it was like, it was so bad. It derailed the franchise. I'm like, you obviously have not seen every Marvel movie. <laughs> Because most of, like, the Thor and Captain America movies are worse than that. Anyway, so I'm a Sam Raimi fan. I don't know if you can tell that. You're a Raimi head? I'm a, uh, yeah. So I get a little defensive about him. It's cool. It's cool. It's cool. It's cool. It's cool. Like I said, I have to be in the mood for it. Like, there's definitely times I've watched some of the movies and I'm like, this just isn't working. But then there's times I watch it and I'm like, I am 100% here for it. So like, I have to, I just have to be in the mood for it. Well, I mean, it's a lot coming at you. It's a lot of visual. And like, s- some stuff works, some stuff doesn't. Like the carnival scene in this movie, I was like, <laughs> I kind of like, but I also kind of feel like it feels corny. <laughs> so the <laughs> carnival scene, uh, I-, I mentioned earlier that I didn't see this until I was an adult. Uh-huh. One of the reasons I waited so long was because on like TNT or USA or something, they showed Darkman and I like was flipping through channels and it came to that carnival scene. Right. And him bending the fingers like that freaked me out when I was like seven or eight or however old I was. Like, I was like, that's way too scary for me to watch. And I watch it now, I'm like, this is kind of silly. Like, especially like the lead up to it. Like, yeah. When- and then it like, it like pans to them going like, like, fr- oh, oh. <laughs> silly. I like, I like how he like totally obliterates those dudes' fingers. Yeah. The, the Carney's yeah. fingers. And then like, he just like takes Francis McDormand and he's like, I have to go. I have to go. And she's not asking like, how did you turn his fingers into paste? She's like, what's wrong, Peyton? What's wrong? <laughs> and then his face starts bubbling. He's like, yeah. <laughs> it's silly. I it mean, is. like, I, I'm not hating on it. But that carnival it. scene, like, you could watch that carnival scene with the sound off and know exactly what's happening. Sure, 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 sure. Yeah. The, the only part in this where I felt like it was telling, not showing, was Dr. Exposition after the blow-up scene. Quite simply, 
We sever the nerves within the spinothalamic tract, there, which, as you know, transmits neural impulses of pain and vibratory sense to the brain. No longer receiving impulses of pain, you stick him with a pin, and you can't even feel it. Like, that is showing in time, but I still think the scene is visually interesting. If it's not... Yeah. Why is he spinning? Who cares? Oh, yeah, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> like... Yeah, it's not telling the story visually at that exact moment, but it's still sort of visually interesting to, like, get you through the dialogue. It's all doctor exposition, yeah. but it's told with visual interest. Yeah. So, yeah, I give it. I'll, I'll give it. I give it credit yeah. for that. No, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm there with you, but... And I... Because... I really... Like, I, I do want to know your opinion on this, too, but I just... We haven't done a Raimi movie, and I'm a big Raimi fan. I just kind of feel like it's all gushing out of me right yeah. now. I mean, honestly, my favorite parts of this were some of the stunts. Like, the oh, bananas. Yeah. Like, there was one, I think his name's Polly. It's the first time uh, Dark Man dons a face, and he he puts on, like, a, a glove of him and uh, takes the money. And, like, the gangster oh, guy yeah, comes, yeah. and they, like, throw him out of the building. Like, they throw a – someone jumps out of a window. Yeah. <laughs> And it's high. It's real high. And it's like, whoa, that looks great. A plus. Um, I love all the helicopter shit. Like, yeah, that was a good like helicopter sequence. It's all good. Even like, though that, it has that like corny line, like, it's like, oh, excuse me. And, like, I know. I mean, it's corny at points, but it's like there's somebody ha- dangling. But it's off al- of a helicopter. It's like, also corny in that way that like kind of comic book humor can be corny. Like, sure, it's sort of true to like what informed and inspired the material. Yeah. You know, so it's like, if you're going to try and make something that's comic booky, you kind of got to, you know, succumb to that. My only problem with it was, I wish at the end when he finally like takes the helicopter and connects it to the truck and it drives through the tunnel and destroys the helicopter. I wish he had a better line. Burn in hell. I wish it was something more like, uh, um, I don't know, something I with got fingers your hooks in you, or something, something fingers. Or... I don't know, like fingers, because he cut off the fingers. Oh, I love yeah. that little uh, that little detail too. The that, motif like, of the, Durant, yeah, cutting, cutting off, the fingers off of his fingers villains. and then saving them in a in a little like case. Yeah, like, oh yeah, you bad, <laughs> you bad. <laughs> uh, that's nice. That's that's good color, and I liked how. It wasn't just him impersonating someone else. Like, he did it with, like, intention and purpose. Like, he didn't impersonate Durant and then go to that meeting in Chinatown. Like, he knew that he would have to delay Durant. So he impersonated him robbing a convenience store so that he would be arrested so that he could go to this Chinatown meeting Yeah, without, like... Interruption from the real Durant. I'm like, I'm like, that's the sort of forethought that I don't think I've, I like. I don't feel like I see in like that same trope. Like, if someone has the ability to copy someone else, yeah. I was like, he's actually got the forethought to like think around what the 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 situation is. Because well, and I think that we're trained. We learned that he's like learning that because like in the scene before that with Polly, like where he he goes in with the first time he dons a mask. You get the impression they're at the restaurant and he's like acting weird because 
he doesn't know how to play Polly. Mm-hmm. But then you learn later that's like, oh, he was acting weird so that his other like colleagues would think that like Polly's acting weird. Pa- we should yeah, check Pauly's in on him. Up. Yeah. And then you go back and it's like the actual mm-hmm. Polly who's been passed out. And it's like, so he's, you know, he's playing chess here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, cause like Spider-Man in like the comic books had a villain called Chameleon mm-hmm. where he could impersonate, you know, anybody. And, it was always sort of just like a one note thing. And I feel like Raimi took that like one note and like gave it depth. Sure. Like made it, yeah, playing a chess sort of situation. I don't know. It's just something I appreciate to like take, you know, source material, like a chameleon type villain, and then like really kind of give it breath. I love that about Raimi and his like plot abilities like his screenwriting abilities well yeah we should talk about how it's this is an original property yeah where it's like he didn't get batman he didn't get the shadow so he's like well i'm gonna make something along those lines that's original and he did and we've got an origin story we've got a character who can do things moving forward we have interest with the francis mcdormand character still being in love with him even though she knows he's got like an alter ego yeah like there's the whole like billionaire plot who's basically jeff bezos and or paul allen like i just got the impression that that villain could come back or like even though he died in this movie like his daughter saying ivanka trump style (laughs) could come back as like my dad died at your hands like like, there's a lot of, like, stuff there, and I'm surprised. I guess there are sequels. There's two sequels to this. Direct-to-video sequels, but yeah. But, um... The Return of Durant and Die, Darkman, Die. <laughs> the Darkman, The. <laughs> right? Uh... <laughs> but, I mean, it's like, there isn't enough... I don't know. I feel like there's not enough weight placed on original content these days like people just don't make it because there isn't there aren't people willing to go to the movies for it and i see something like this and i'm like there's a lot here like i could see several movies coming out of this like this is the birth of a franchise and he's just taking tropes that we already know yeah and like putting them in a blender i mean we're living in a really saturated time where it's like only things with existing property attached to it seem to to succeed in movie theaters and i mean this wasn't like a huge success but you know 50 million dollars in 1990 was a good success of a movie yeah i also want to talk about the tropes that like now that you've mentioned it because i mean he does lean into tropes in this movie but i also kind of think that the character that he created out of it i don't want to say subverts tropes but like i kind of think this is a richer character than, say, Bruce Wayne and Batman. Because, all right, Dark Man, it's already begging for a, a light versus dark analogy. One, dark it has connotations of evil. Right. And so Dark Man isn't killing these people. And he is killing them, like, oftentimes in cold blood, like when he sticks Ted Raimi out of the manhole. Uh, okay, well, here, I'm going to unpin this real, just real quick. Is Ted Raimi able to play a tough? Like, he looks <laughs> like he's a nerd. He should play a nerd to me. Total dork. Yeah. Why is he playing a tough here? I mean, I get it. You're giving and your brother... And tough in, in Candyman. Yeah, you're giving your brother a, a role or, or in Candyman. Like, well, in Candyman, there's no excuse. But it's just <laughs> yeah. like, the guy's a nerd. Why isn't he yeah. playing nerds? Nerd! <laughs> 
Anyway, okay. You shouldn't be playing a jock. I just yeah. have to get that off my chest. No, it's go fine. Ahead. So, Dark Man, he's doing good, but he's doing it for vengeance. Meanwhile, the villains, like the, the, the main villain in this is like a property developer. He's arguably doing good, but he's doing it in an evil way. I mean, the main villain of this is building new properties that are going to bring jobs to the city. And Dark Man's killing these people. And, like, even though these people are evil, he's not killing them because they're doing evil. He's killing them out of vengeance. Sure, 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 sure. And he, he is, like, literally killing some of them in cold blood. Meanwhile, the villains are arguably doing good, but they're doing it in evil ways. Bribery. Uh, uh, extortion, strong, extortion, strong handing via m- mob connections and things like that. So there's this like inversion of like good and evil. Like he's doing good, but for evil purposes or bad purposes. Yeah. Meanwhile, someone's doing good, but with evil intentions. And we get the definitive moment of Dark Man's uh, birth, basically when he at the very end when he drops the billionaire off, and the guy's like, "You wouldn't kill me. You don't have the guts." That, like, really crystallizes who Darkman is to me, where he's like, I will do evil things because I have had evil done to me. But it's also that that he's no longer Peyton. He is Darkman. Sure. Peyton is now his alter ego. Sure. Like, in order to, like, live in the light, he has to put on a mask and pretend to be Fate. someone else. Yeah. He is Darkman now. Like, he will do evil, he will kill in cold blood, and he's okay with that. He does it remorselessly, and, like, he knows, like, in his ego that it's evil, but he doesn't actually feel bad about it. See, and then there's, like, such a good, like, setup there. I haven't watched the sequels. Maybe they explore this, but I'm like, I actually haven't either. Francis McDormand's character to, like, learn to love Darkman after not like letting go of Peyton. Like there's a whole thing of her. Like, I can't let go of Peyton. I have to learn to love you. You're different. Like that's a good struggle. Like there's a lot of, there's a lot of like, honestly that last like elevator scene, like kind of touched me this time. I was like, Oh, like I kind of feel bad for them as a couple here. You'll perfect the skin. You'll make it work. It doesn't matter. Julie. Don't you think I told myself that night after sleepless night? It's just a burn, skin deep, it doesn't matter. (laughs) But a funny thing happened. (laughs) As I worked in the mask, I found the man inside was changing. He became wrong. A monster. I'm not Peyton anymore, I am Darkman. I've killed. Yeah, I've killed. And it's also like, you get the the implication, like, he's not remorseful about it. It's not like... Even if he could perfect the skin, he couldn't just go back to like living. The well, he's life all emotion he now. Like he doesn't have, like because he can't feel anything. Now he's just like his emotions take different places. So he's a he's a different he's a different person. Yeah, and I just I think that's really good writing. Like there is complexity in the character, even though I I kind I do feel that it's overshadowed with like the directing and just. 
the texture of the movie. Like if you look at it, it's like we versus say like Batman, which I think is or or RoboCop, which I think are the like the closest uh, uh, analogous movies to this. I don't think either of them, like they both kind of strive for like a sense of duality. And I think Darkman actually does the duality better. It's just you're constantly distracted by like the over directing a little bit. Sure. Um, I'm glad you said over directing because I do feel like at times oh, he can be a little over the so top. So there's a scene near the beginning. It, it's right before the thugs like invade Peyton's lab, and you know he's he's ruminating on why the skin won't last past 99 minutes and like he walks over like away from his assistant like just looks off into the distance and, like the light hits like his eye line and i'm like oh my god <laughs> what is it about the dark what secret does it hold this is the corniest scene I've ever seen in my life. It's a little much And he's sometimes. just like, why won't it last? What's the secret? What what secrets does the darkness hold while this just the, the beam of light hits his eyes? I'm like, come on, guys. I'm glad you say that, especially as a Sam Raimi fan, because like I like Sam Raimi too, but there's definitely, like, like I said, gotta be in the mood for it. I have a question for you. Yeah. I tried to look this up. I did research. But I couldn't find definitive answers. Do you think this is the same cat from Pet Cemetery? <laughs> uh, probably not. They um, look exactly the same. They do look a lot alike, but you know, they hiss at the same. Like, how many cats do you know can hiss on cue? I just feel like the cat from Pet Cemetery was long dead by then. That's kind of a downer. We brought it back in that movie, didn't you watch <laughs> Pet Cemetery? Sometimes that is better. Yeah, and, and there's all sorts of Ramyisms in this, like dumb dancing, like. When he puts on like the funnel and starts dancing, I was yeah. like, "God, every Raimi movie has to have stupid dancing in Even it." Even during like the helicopter scene, there's a part where they like dip him, and he's like dipping the uh, dark man hanging off the helicopter, and he's like runs oh, across. Oh, running on the, like, the top. <laughs> may as well have like the Hanna Barbera sound of like people running. I was like, "Come on." Yeah. You can't resist that stuff. Raimi just thinks that shit's funny. I mean, but... I do too. <laughs> but it's also like it really undercuts what you're trying to do. Yeah. A little, yeah, bit. A little bit there. I don't know. Like, I would rather have someone half-ass over-direct than undirect, I-, I guess. And because, like, I feel like this is his first time, like, really trying plot on, like, his own terms. And, like, it's all here. It's just kind of overshadowed by his directing a little bit. Yeah. Because, I mean... He does direct the shit out of this movie. Yeah. I think it's when he's like in the laboratory and a lot of this movie falls apart if you analyze it too closely. (laughs) So it's like when he's, we're not even going to talk about their process (laughs) for making this again. Uh, Oh, I've got a photo here. I'll just put it in this little machine. And uh... when I was watching it, I was like, they're they're like, Oh, like data incomplete on like the Peyton face. (laughs) And so they're like, Oh, we'll just copy the data from this side of his face to the other side of his face. And they're like, okay, this will take, and they, they put it off in hours, but I was like, that's like 30 days. I did the math 24 days. Yeah. (laughs) And I thought that it was like, Oh, to like recreate the data and make a mask. But no, it was just to recreate the image (laughs) on the other side of the hologram. I'm like, Oh, that's what they thought. Like, this is back when computers were only going to be owned by the 10 richest kings of England. <laughs> I really wanted it to get to 99% and be like, shut down. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck! 
I waited three weeks for this. But no, it was literally just to like copy the data from one side of the image to the other. It's like literally Photoshop has like a button for this exact thing. I mean, it feels accurate for 1990, but I still. know. No, I mean, there's there's a lot of holes in this movie if you <laughs> dig too deep. But uh... also, I okay. So this was a big question I had. Like after he dies. Francis McDormand marries the billionaire? She doesn't marry him. Well, they're like a couple. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't she know that he's like doing illegal stuff? Because she's a lawyer and she's like... She saw the Belisarius memorandum. What are you thinking? (laughs) Yeah, that is a little odd. I mean, I get it. He's kind of hot, but I'm just sort of like... Yeah, he's kind of hot. Weird. And he's rich. I just like... When that came about, I was just like, "What a weird." I do thing like for the, the Belisarius memorandum. A, you remember the the when you hear it, you know what they're talking about. Yeah, but this is where like I'm like, oh, Sam Raimi is a good like capital D director because like that coffee ring Always on doing. the memorandum that just lets you know what piece of paper you're looking at, no matter where you are in the movie. Yeah. So it's like when that piece of paper shows up later, you're like, oh. That's that thing that the, they were the coffee about thing earlier. from earlier. Yeah, you know it. It's a total MacGuffin, but like that coffee ring, you're like that's important. It helps like, you remember. I know that that's important. Yeah, even uh, if you don't remember the piece of paper, you remember it had a coffee ring on it because we watched. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's good. That's good stuff. Yeah, that's just one of those like little details. It like that really I think helps solidify a movie. Yeah, I don't know. I just I think Sam Raimi is a great director, and even though he <laughs> has a huge cult following and widespread commercial fame. I don't think he's gotten uh, his due, but just with this one, I think he really showed his chops in creating a character and some solid uh, action sequences. I I agree. I had fun. I, I, I think especially if you meet the movie on its own terms and especially if you consider this is unique, like somebody made fresh this, idea. Yeah. Specifically for the screen. Like you just don't get those very many. And like in, if you consider that, like this is great. Like, yeah, there's there's just not many things that are like this that succeed as well as this does. I love it when I feel like a movie is exactly what it's set out to be. Mm-hmm. I think this movie's a lot of fun. I think more people sh- should see it because uh, I think yeah, Sam Raimi gets love for Spider Man and Evil Dead and everything in between kind of falls between the cracks. <laughs> Hopefully we can fill that crack like a top in Invasion of the Bottom Snatchers. <laughs> if you don't get that joke, that's because you're not a patron. <laughs> Go to patreon.com to get that joke. Uh, does that bring us to uh, what's coming up next week? I think during this time period, I think we need some feel good fare. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we haven't done a lot of romantic comedies on this podcast. (laughs) Probably not since The Apartment. Matt just tensed up (laughs) when I said that. I'm sensing Katherine Heigl movies all of a sudden. I know you haven't seen this. It's pretty fun. We're going to do Defending Your Life, the Albert Brooks movie. Oh, yeah. I have not Mm. seen that. Meryl Streep, Albert Brooks. It's about somebody dies, 
has to uh, justify all their horrible choices they made in life in order to get to ascension. But I think it's really fun, and I think it's really light, and I think it'd be fun to do just a light movie. Okay. I literally know nothing about it. Great. Don't look it up. Okay. I'm going to bring a pie. You'll get that joke later. Oh. I was uh, hoping you'd really bring a pie, but okay. Well, maybe I will. Okay. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. All right. Well, thank you for letting me geek out a little bit tonight. Appreciate you geeking out for me. <laughs> You'll do the heavy lifting next week. But my arms are so weak. <laughs> you can't even punch a hole in a box. <laughs> Matt, you know how in this movie, Dark Man doesn't have any lips when he talks? Oh, yeah. I think it'd be fun to, if we did our junk with no lips. Discerning fans could probably draw sort of complications with the fact that Liam Neeson had no lips. I can look past it. Because this is just what he'll sound like in neural talk. <laughs> yeah, you know. This movie was featured heavily in Hangaria magazine. <laughs> and so, you know, obviously Heel didn't care about the lack of lists. Well, here we go. Follow us on Twitter at XIDNewies. Follow us on Facebook at RatedXNewies. If you feel like you should pay money for this, we have a Patreon. And that's patreon.com x-rated news. Boy, those T sounds are really hard in the lips. If you'd like to contact us, you can email us at x.rated.news at gmail.com. Is that all the things they need to plug? <laughs> and go to our website. Oh, that's like x-ratednews.com. You can listen to all the episodes we have available. Until next week, keep reaching for that rainbow. <laughs> <laughs>